Welcome to Heartland Church. It is our prayer that as you listen to the following message, you would experience the heart of God for your life. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Now, let's join this week's service already in progress. talk about prayer and fasting because we're in the middle of this fast. We're on, this is day seven. And so in my mind, I always, I always march out the days. You know, the, the third day I thought, I've got to just do this seven more times and we'll be done. And now I can say, we're just got to do this three more times and we're done. Hallelujah. Uh, and it's not just to finish. I know that fasting is effective. I know that fasting will change things. But we need to understand why fasting changes things. Because if we don't understand why, we're not able to really engage. We can do it out of obedience, but we're not really engaged. Our heart is not fully invested in the process. And so the greater we can understand why fasting works, the the, the better we can cooperate with that process. Does that make sense? And so we need to to understand why fasting works. And uh, what what, uh, Kara was saying reminded me of this, this thought that, that I, I've talked about before, I believe, that whenever we are praying about big issues, whenever you are going to the Lord and you're saying, God, I want this mountain to move, there is two battles being fought simultaneously. There is the internal battle and there is the external battle. The internal battle is about you, you changing. The external battle is about your situation changing. And our, the external battle is dependent upon the internal battle being won. And we see this throughout Scripture. It's a principle of prayer. And it's one that is not often spoken of in most circles. That we, we don't understand the idea of prayer being a process by which God changes us. And that us being transformed is crucial for the external breakthrough. Our internal transformation will determine the external breakthrough. And if we resist the internal transformation, then we're not going to see the external breakthrough. We talked about this before. We've, we've talked about how we, we cry out to God for revival. God, send revival! And God says, okay, I want to start with how you treat your wife. And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, that's a little personal, Lord. I was talking about you know, church services, not how I operate in my home. But those two things are connected. Because when we come to God, there is a mutual exchange of requests. And we see this throughout Scripture. In in John's Gospel, he quotes Jesus as saying that if you will obey my commandments, you ask what you will and it shall be done. Listen to that. If you obey his commandments, then when you ask what you will, it shall be done. Now doesn't that smack of legalism? Doesn't that sound like we're earning the answer to our own prayers? Let's not be all religious here. Well, don't say that, Pastor. It's truth, you know, so let's not question it. We need to question it. We need to get underneath this thing because under those mysteries lies some of the most valuable truths. And Jesus is explicit. If you obey my commandments, then if you ask what you will, you will receive what you ask for. Your obedience is part and parcel of your prayer life. Again, we've quoted this verse many, many times. 
If you've been around here very long at all, you've heard me talk on this subject. Hebrews chapter 5, it says, Jesus, uh, with loud cries and petitions, Jesus made his requests known unto God. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. The cause, because of, the cause of his answered prayer was not because he was God's son. It wasn't because he was God. It was because of his reverent submission. It's another way of saying what Jesus himself taught his disciples. If you obey my commandments, you can ask what you will and it shall be done. Because if you don't listen to God, he don't want to listen to you. Well, I don't, I, let, me, let, me, let me correct that, okay? That was a little harsh and it was incorrect. If you don't listen to God, he won't listen to you. It's not that he doesn't want to, but it's a legal issue that God has to have you aligned with his will in order for him to do his will through you. That's why I, I believe I said it last week. We can cancel out what we pray with our behavior. How we act can supersede our prayers in the prayer closet. We see it in Isaiah 58, where Isaiah, it's that famous chapter of God's chosen fast. And he says, you, he, he speaks to them as people. Let, let's turn there very quickly. Isaiah 58. And it's, one of the, it, it's really one of the preeminent passages that it addresses the subject of fasting head on. Probably the preeminent passage. Isaiah 58. Shout it aloud. This is verse 1. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. So he's talking about Israel. There are people who day after day seek God out. That's a pretty good thing, isn't it? I mean, they're consistent in their seeking of God. He goes on to say, They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commandments of God. They ask for just decisions, and they seem eager for God to come near. At face value, these look like the kind of people you want to run with. They're consistent in their pursuit. Their, their, their prayer meetings are full. They're crying out for God's just decisions. They seem on face value to look like people who want God to come near. But then he says this. Verse 3, they say, why have we fasted and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting you do as you please and exploit all your workers. See how he shifts from what you're saying with your mouth is being contradicted by your actions. On the day of your fasting, when you're asking God for these breakthroughs, you go to work and you treat other people like a jerk. And your behavior, your, the way you treat people, will shut down the answer to your prayer and fasting. Now, I don't know about you, but I like food. It's one of my hobbies. I have very few hobbies. And food is right there at the top. And today, it's at the top, yeah. I don't want to skip food and not get out, get something for it. I don't want to go through a fast and find out at the end, you know what, all that was for naught because you canceled it out by your behavior. I want to learn the lesson. I want to, I want to get something out of this thing. 
I want to get something more than losing weight because I know it always comes back on, believe me. Every year I inch up. So I'm going to change that this year. I'm putting myself on public notice. Okay, now i got accountability. Feel free to confront me. Okay, so listen to what it says. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves, you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. That's not a real good fast. you got to knock down drag out before the prayer meeting. He says, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Listen to that. That is a sobering line. You can be a Christian. You can be one of the people of God. You can fast and pray and ask God to come near. But he said, if you do it like this, your voice will not be heard. It's that verse in Zechariah. When they prayed, I did not hear them because when I spoke, they would not listen. But what God is saying is, hey, if you won't listen to me, you're not gonna, I'm not going to be listening to you to answer your prayers. Now, I said it's because he, he's, he doesn't want to. That's not true. God wants to answer our prayers, but there is a legal principle here that if we are not becoming our prayer, if we are not becoming the answer to our own prayer, if we are not embodying the very thing that we're crying out for, you are the first fruits of the answer to your intercession. And if your fasting doesn't change you, it will not change your situation you're praying about. If it doesn't transform you. And so that's that thing of the external battle and the internal battle. So when we're on, a, when we're on an adventure with God, a time of prayer and fasting, we need to be doing two things. We're crying out to God. God, we're asking for change in this area. But we're also asking God, what, what do you want to deal with in me? And you know what? I, I usually don't even have to ask. God starts bringing things up. And as we, as we yield to him and we adjust to him, there's a greater yes that, has, that is put on the scales, that will tip the scales of human affairs. God is looking for your yes. That's what fasting is about. Fasting strengthens your yes. We are called to align our will with God's will. I was talking last night at the, the uh, prayer meeting in, in uh, Deuteronomy verse, chapters 9 and 10. And there is this crazy story where Moses is telling the children of Israel about when he went and got the law, when he was up on the mountain. When he was up on the mountain, when he received the law, and he tells them that he was, for 40 days and 40 nights, he had no food and no water, and he just waited in the glory. And if you read the text, he had to wait some time before the glory showed up. But for 40 days and 40 nights, no, no bread, no water, no, no food, and no water, that's a miracle in and of itself. And so he's in the glory, and the finger of God writes for Charlton Heston, I mean Moses, writes the Ten Commandments out on a rock for him. And he's holding these tablets written by God. And then when, he, when the Lord gives them to him, he said, Now, hurry, get down to your, your, the people of Israel, because they have sinned greatly against me. So Moses comes down, and he's, he's blown away. He spent 
days and weeks in the glory. Can you imagine that? So much so that Moses' face would glow. It, it would seep into his skin and he would just, he's like a human glow worm. It was amazing. He'd come down and he went from that to see all this debauchery and he lost it. And he broke these stones carved by the finger of God. I can't imagine, that must have broke his heart to think, man, what God gave me, I broke. But in anger, he broke it and he turned back around and it said, then for 40 days and 40 nights, he laid prostrate before the Lord. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 9. I told the group last night, I don't think Moses swung in and got dinner. Before I go back, and I'm so angry, I broke the tablets God gave me, but I'm going to drop in for a, a steak dinner, and then I'm going to go. No, Moses turned right back around. So essentially, he had an 80-day fast. No food, no water. And I want you just to march off. What's 40 days in the past right now? I, I don't know what that date would be. I don't even know what date it is today. But you think about 40 days ago. That's a long time to lay on your face. With no food and no water. 40 days in the dust because he's crying out to God. Because God, that's when God told him, Leave me alone that my anger may burn. For I'm going to destroy these people and I'll make a new nation out of you. And Moses threw himself on the ground. Can you imagine the commitment, the burden, the, uh, I don't even know what to call it, that Moses must have had to be able to sustain? 80 days of no food, and that last 40, crying out for people that he, he told them, you're a stiff-necked people. But yet he carried this burden for these people because he was their leader. And he cried out to God in the dust. Didn't move for 40 days. I can't even imagine that. Then it was Moses who said, I'd go to hell. Lord, if you're, if you're not going to save them, don't save me. Lord, he, he was willing to go to hell for Israel. And it was that heart that saved an entire nation of millions of people. But the astounding thing is, if you go to the next chapter, chapter 10 in Deuteronomy, Moses says to them, he says, okay, he said, guys, I, I laid on my face for 40 days and, and went without food and water for 40 days, and the Lord relented. And then he says this, it was not the Lord's will to destroy you. I'm thinking, if it wasn't God's will to destroy him, why did Moses have to lay on his face for 40 days and 40 nights? If it wasn't God's will, what in the world was that all about? And why did it take till the 40th day for God to relent? What was that? See, some, some scholars will look at that passage and say that God really never intended to destroy Israel. He was speaking anthropomorphically. It was an anthropomorphic exchange. In other words, God condescended to our level and he, took, uh, he, he just acted like a human being so Moses could relate with him. But God never really intended. And I, I want to say that is, that, that is on the border of blasphemy because what you're saying is God was lying to Moses to relate with him. God was toying with his emotions. He was manipulating him. He was telling him, I'm going to do something. Well, not really. I wasn't going to do it, but I wanted you to fast for 40 days. God doesn't operate like that. 
So what is the alternative interpretation to that passage? That God, at the end of 80 days of fasting, 40 days of which were on his face in the dirt and crying out to God, 40 days of which was in repentance for what they had done and crying out and saying, God, withhold your hand. And then God says, okay. And then Moses is able to say, God was not, it wasn't God's will to destroy you. What is the alternative interpretation? The alternative interpretation is this. God doesn't always get what he wants. I want you to think about that for a moment. God does not always get what he wants. There are times, now I want to really wig you out here. There are times where God will do things contrary to his own desire. You say, I don't know about that, Pastor Dave. God is not willing that any should perish. But we know some do. What was the deciding factor? You had God in heaven with a desire. He, it was his will to preserve this nation. But he said, I'm going to destroy them and God can never be insincere. His integrity doesn't allow it. And so when God declared this judgment over the people of Israel, he was going to do it. The deciding factor was an intercessor. Someone who stepped in and said, God, don't do it. And if you look at Moses' prayers, he began to cry out and he said, God, think about yourself. Lord, you brought us out with your mighty right hand and all the surrounding nations knew it. And then if you just take us into the desert and kill us, what are the nations going to think? Lord, think of your great name. It's going to be a, a, a blight on your, your reputation among the nations. He cried out from a God-centric view. He said, God, I'm worried about your perspective. I'm worried about your reputation. He cried out. And God was so moved by Moses' prayers that God said, okay, I'll relent. And Moses blew right past it. And God had to pull him by the collar and say, listen, I already answered your prayer. Because he kept on praying. Read the text. I believe it's Exodus 32. God had to pull him back and say, listen, I already said yes. The deciding factor. Let, let me back up and say it again. God does not always get what he desires. There are times God will do things contrary to his own will. It's not, he's not willing that any should perish, but people do. So what is the deciding factor? It's the intercessor. The corollary of that principle is not everything that happens is God's will. So there's a lot of things that are going on. And people say, well, why did God do this? As if God is up there orchestrating and handicapping children and, and, and you know, putting cancer in people. Not everything that happens is God's will. And there's a lot of things that are going on in the earth today that are not God's will. And the deciding factor, the missing component, is the intercessor. God's looking for someone to stand in the gap. You know, that's literally what that word means. Intercessor means to stand between. Somebody that is going to stand between this terrible situation and a God who has to, because of his own integrity, has to deal with sin and has to bring judgment on things. And then we insert the intercessor and we say, God, withhold your hand. We get under the load of that thing and we cry out for them when they won't cry out for themselves. And when God finds an intercessor, 
He can relent and he can release his will. But what he needs to get what he wants is a human will on earth siding with his. Because God delegated the earth to you. And your will matters. What you say really does matter. Your will is the gateway for God's movement in the earth. And if God does not have a yes, a human yes, then he's limited in what he can do because he will not violate his own principles. We've talked about it before, but in case you haven't heard it, Acts chapter, I mean, uh, Psalm chapter 8. What is man? You are mindful of him. The son of man, you have visited him. You have made him a little lower than the angels or Elohim, and you have put everything under his feet. Hebrews 2 reiterates it. God delegated the earth to us. So we look and say, God, why don't you do something? And God looks at us and says, why don't you do something? Why don't you invite me into this situation? But then we have this thing of 40 days of fasting. What is that? If God didn't want to do it in the first place, why doesn't God just do what he wants to do? Because he won't violate his own principles. He won't violate the system which he himself set up. And so what he needs is a human yes, an invitation from a human being to intervene. Prayer is divine intervention only by human invitation. That is the principle of prayer, in short. And so God can intervene when a man or a woman sides with him. You look at Jesus. God is not willing that any should perish. So Jesus, becoming a man, said, God, I am going to live for the fulfillment of your heart. I'm going to do what, what is required so your heart can be fulfilled. Because without Jesus, we're all going to hell. It's over for all of us. He may not be willing for anybody, anybody to perish, but we're all going to perish. So what's needed? An intercessor, the ultimate intercessor, Jesus Christ, became the God-man. He could represent God to man and man to God. He was the embodiment of intercession. He was the ultimate go-between, the ultimate priest who before the people would represent God and before God would represent the people. And he was it. I mean, he could sit by himself and represent God and man to himself. I mean, he could have a prayer meeting right there. You know, I mean, it was all going on, all alone. He was the ultimate intercessor. So what did he do? It's, it, God is not willing that any should perish. But still, it cost him the death of his son to get his desire. Because sin has to be judged. That thing that rises up within you when you watch the news and you hear about some pedophile that got off with a slap on the hand. That rage that rises up in you and said, this can't go on. This can't be. That is the image of God in your nature. There's a sense of justice that rises within you. We just tasted a little bit. God who sees everything and has to endure the most a sickening sin and, and victimization. God can't let that go unpunished because of his very nature. His integrity demands it. So what did he do? He said, I'm not willing that any should perish, but someone's got to pay. And Jesus said, I'll become that man. And God poured out his wrath on his son. And so he could satisfy his wrath. And in so being, Jesus was the ultimate 
intercessor. The ultimate act of intercession. When Remember, the word is to stand between. The ultimate act of intercession is Jesus on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth, in order to reconcile them back together. He took the sin on himself. He was willing to bear the, the price for our salvation. But the need for intercessors didn't stop at Calvary or the resurrection. That principle still remains. God still needs people that will step in the gap and say, God, I'm willing to pray your will. I'm willing to get behind this thing. I'm willing to give you my yes. And that brings us to fasting. Fasting enables you to grow your yes. Fasting, it's as if the scales, what's going to tip the scales? And I can put a little more of my will on that scale with fasting. I can grow my yes and I can tip the scales for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. You see, your obedience is connected to your breakthrough. Let me say it again. Your obedience is connected to your breakthrough. And I'm not trying to condemn anybody. It's just a fact. And you need to understand that sin, un, un, undealt with sin. I'm not talking about someone who, who has a weakness and they, they, fall, they fall into sin and they're, they're being accountable and they're crying. They're saying, hey, I need help. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we as believers just sin and think, oh, it's not a big deal. I'm under grace. Well, you know what? You are not fulfilling your position as a believer. Because it's not just about you and yours getting to heaven. What God wants to do is raise up a kingdom of priests. And priests are the go-betweens. And each one of us need to get under this load and say, God, I thank you for what you've done in my life, but I've, I've been hooked because of what you did for me. I've been hooked and I'm in love with you and I can't help but live your will. Desire your desires. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to get them done. And so we enter into that pocket of intercession. And we begin to pray. And we begin to cry out for breakthrough. And then we fast. Because fasting is for those stubborn things that will not move. The Lord spoke to me last night as I was drifting off to sleep, and I woke back up and uh, wrote it down real quick. He told me, fasting is a fulcrum. Anybody know what a fulcrum is? Fasting is a fulcrum. So I looked the word up, and there's a number of different definitions, of course. A fulcrum, if you're going to, if you've got something heavy to lift... Uh, maybe you want to move a big rock and you can't move it on your own, what you can do is you can get a long, sturdy lever, a pole, some kind of board, something that you can put under that, and then you put a smaller rock next to it, and you, the, the smaller rock is the fulcrum. It's how you get leverage to move that larger one. And you can lift more by a fulcrum and a lever you can lift more that way than you could just with your own physical strength. And the same is true of fasting. You can move more through fasting than you can normally move in your normal spiritual condition. 
Because what you're doing is you're growing your yes. You're saying, God, I want more. Scripture says that Jesus was obedient unto death. He rode that thing out and secured our salvation by going the distance and going to death. And see, what most of us, we're, we're, we'll stay in the fight to the point of discomfort. As soon as it starts to make us uncomfortable, cost us something, inconvenience us, then we're like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to break this thing this fast. You know, I'm, everything's good. I've got a good life. I don't need to get all radical about this stuff. And we surrender the victory that could have been ours. Because here's the danger. If we are only committed to the point of discomfort, then the enemy will read your mail and he will touch you. He will do something to make you uncomfortable to get you to back off. And you may be going to heaven, but you're going to be pretty much useless in the kingdom until you get there. Your life is not going to have the significance that God predestined you to have. So we've got to embrace discomfort. There is a battle. I'm telling you, when Moses was laying on the ground for 40 days and 40 nights, skipping food and water in the dirt, crying out for a nation, I guarantee you that was one of the greatest spiritual battles that has ever taken place in history. God doesn't give us the backdrop. He doesn't show us what was going on in the spiritual realm. But I guarantee you all hell was coming against that man in the dirt. Because the Messiah, his birth, was going to come out of that company of people that he was crying out for. And if Satan could thwart that, he knew the prophecies. He wasn't clear on all of them, but he knew enough that these are God's chosen people. And if I can touch them, I touch God. But Moses, he embraced it and he stayed in the fight until that thing lifted. And so we need this thing that we're willing to push through the discomfort. That our hunger for breakthrough becomes more than our hunger for food or our hunger for other comforts. Just fill in the blank. And it's when we stiffen our resolve and we say, God, I'm going to do this thing. And we press through those things that things begin to move in the spirit. Those stones begin to move. Those things that were immovable in the past begin to give way to our will and God's will. I, I looked up this word fulcrum. Here's one of the definitions. If you say that someone or something is the fulcrum of an activity or situation you mean that they have a very important effect on what happens. You have a very important effect on what happens on planet Earth because your will matters. Your will carries authority. It's been invested with such by heaven. Fasting is a fulcrum granting spiritual leverage. Fasting is the fulcrum and we are the lever. Together we move seemingly immovable things. The strength and the position of the lever is a determining factor of what can be moved. So the strength of the lever, you can have a fulcrum, you're trying to move a big rock, you got a little rock and you got this, you got a, a, maybe a, a two by four and you're trying to move that big rock. Well, if the, the lever isn't strong, suddenly it gives way and it breaks and you're not going to move anything. So the strength of the lever is important, but also the position of the lever in regards to the fulcrum. Because the farther you get out, the more you can lift. The longer that fulcrum, the longer rather that lever, the more you can lift with that thing. 
As I'm laying in bed, the Lord, I, I'm trying to go to sleep, and the Lord began to speak to me about this. So I got up. My wife's probably thinking, would he turn that off? Because the whole room lights up. And the Lord, this is what the Lord spoke to me. Excuse me, I'm sorry. The strength and position of the lever is a determining factor in what can be moved. And then I felt like, I felt he asked me this, do you break under pressure? Do you back off the pursuit? The strength of your resolve is key in moving things. You are the lever, the stone is the fulcrum, that fulcrum is fasting. And God will use fasting to give you spiritual leverage to move things that in the past seemed immovable. But do you break under pressure? You need to pray, God, give us, give us holy resolve. Help us to want these things more than we want the comforts of this world. Because then we won't break, we won't bend, we won't give in until there's a breakthrough. And then I felt he ask me, do you resist his repositioning? God begins to reposition us. He's going to put pressure on us and reposition us. But God is doing it so his purposes can come into the situation that we're praying about. And if we resist his repositioning, his requiring things, say, you know what, I want you to move this here. I want, I want, I want this to be out of your life for a season. And I want you to do this and that. And if we're not yielded and we're not, we're not stiffening our resolve and we bend or break under the pressure, then we're not going to see the breakthrough that we wanted. Fasting focuses the emotions and will into a singular cry. Fasting works because your will really matters. It grows the size of your yes the size of your yes, the depth of your agreement with heaven is the deciding factor in the affairs of men. When we agree with God only to the point of discomfort, we, agree, we create a scenario in which the enemy simply has to touch us for us to back off. Fasting removes that possibility. It creates greater buy-in in the human heart. Your want to carries weight in the spirit. The scales of history stand in the balance. And as you put more of your weight, the weight of your will, on the scale, it tips in heaven's favor. Fasting enables you to put more of your will behind his will. The degree of your buy-in matters. Moses' intercession was the deciding factor, the element that tipped the scales in God's favor. It, is not, it was not God's will to destroy you, Moses said. Yet he fully intended to do so. God requires more than his own desire to do his own will. He requires human agreement. People that will jump in and say, God, I am, I am siding with you. I'm saying yes with your desire. And I'm going to say it until something moves. I'm going to say it, and, and there's times I'm going to give some things up, Lord. I'm going to grow my yes, because there, I feel like my yes is not registering yet. So I'm going, to, I'm going to push some stuff aside, and I'm going to grow my yes, and I'm going to give concerted effort. It's almost, fasting is almost like the siege works of old. You know what siege works were? Siege works were when the ancient armies would try to conquer a walled city. What they would do is they, they would lay siege to a city. Because often in these cities, they would have literally months of food stored up. 
Doesn't that sound good right now? Months of food stored up. And so what they would do is they would just lock the gates and figure, well, they won't stick around. But there were, there were very tenacious conquerors that would say, we're just going to camp out and we're going to starve you out. We're going to stay until you have nothing left. And the real aggressive ones would build siege works and some even brought them with them. They had these massive siege works. And what they were is they're like huge ramps that they could put up against the city wall and just walk right in, walk over the wall. Some of them would actually build siege works in the form of dirt. They would haul dirt, just keep hauling it against the wall, against the wall until they got high enough and they could conquer. And that was at great risk because that would make them easily picked off by the the people inside the city. Fasting is like a siege work. I'm going to starve hell out of this thing and I'm going to get this victory. I'm going to see God move. I'm going to see movement because my yes is God's, I'm, I'm putting my yes with God's yes. God is looking for intercessors. Just as God was not willing that any should perish, but it required the life of his son and the ultimate act of intercession to fulfill that desire that men would not have to perish. There are things that God greatly desires that will never happen in human history unless he can find a man or a woman to put their yes with his. I want to encourage you, if you haven't jumped into the fast up until now, jump in. Some of you may have never fasted before. Just skip a meal a day. Some of you, give up coffee. I know, whoa, 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 whoa. Felt, I felt the backlash there. Man, we're going to have to go into deliverance mode here. It, uh, usually I'll drink coffee on my fasts. I really do. Uh, judge me. But uh, uh, this 21-day fast, I don't. Man, my legs have been screaming. Oh my goodness, I, I'm going through detox. I, I think I need to go in and get a blood transfusion or get all the caffeine out. Uh, but I, I want to encourage you, jump in some form or fashion. Skip a meal a day. I want to encourage you to include food in your fast. Fasting, literally, it, it's about skipping food in, in Scripture. It's, that's what it literally means. I think there's, there's, there is a great benefit of fasting other things. But I want to encourage you, jump in in some form or fashion. Let the Lord lead you. It's not a legalistic thing where you got to qualify, uh, you know, by some standard the church is doing. It's, it's not about that. But I want to encourage you. This is a time for us to yield our hearts in a deeper way and allow God to move. You've been listening to a presentation from Heartland Church in Ankeny, Iowa. For more information about our ministry and its available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Thanks for listening.